This is Susanna Hills Podcast. We hope this message becomes a revelation in your heart and will encourage you to live a Christ-centered life. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Here's today's message. What a privilege, honestly, it is to be an SA and uh, just to come to this part of the country and uh, to be able to travel and kind of just bounce around different segments of what the churches here on this side of, of the earth are doing. Uh, my wife Susan, you met her, she's the one that gave the contribution up here. She travels everywhere that I travel, I don't go without her. And uh, if she's thinking she doesn't want to go, I have to sit there and convince her about what we're going to do and why we're going and reminded. You know, we have to be reminded every, every so often about what we're doing. So this morning, I like to speak around neighbors and nations, neighbors and nations. And before I get going... I want to say this to all of you. This is my happy face. (laughs) So if you see me walking around, I'm not angry, I'm not mad, I'm not frustrated, I'm happy. (laughs) They say I have a face for radio, so, so that's interesting. But there is one thing that that does make me smile a lot. It's the name of Jesus. Everyone say Jesus. Yeah. Say Jesus again. Jesus. Turn to your neighbor and say Jesus. Jesus. You can't help but smile when you say Jesus. When I spoke to the youth here as a privilege on City on a Hill, I asked them to do the same. And you know, youth, they don't look at you. They pretend like they're not, you know, they're not paying attention, but they are. But when they looked at each other and they said Jesus, they all started to smile. And they couldn't help but smile. So Jesus is the main reason why we do what we do. But I like to say this, it's been said, it's been said that it's more important what we've been called into, right, than what we've been called out of. What we've been called to than what we've been called out of. In other words, everybody has a story. All of us have a story from where we came from, and some stories may seem a little more dramatic to others, but to us, it was a real thing. We have a story like the pandemic. And over the last couple of years, the pandemic has just wreaked havoc all over the world. There was over a million people that were lost in the United States from this deadly disease that came through. And it got to the place where we couldn't even look at each other. I wouldn't even, I, don't look at me, you're going to give me COVID. Don't look at me. Don't, yeah, don't even talk to me. And we just weren't sure really about anything. And... In that time, it affected our spiritual and our physical lives. Yet, we've all been called to do something, and that hasn't changed in Hebrews 13, 7 through 8. That call hasn't changed, just like if you don't work, you don't eat, right? In in, uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, 10. And if we don't share this word, this word of reconciliation, how can others really understand how great this good news is in Luke 7, 22. You see, the Bible states that the rocks will cry out if we don't. Therefore, his call comes out of a deep love and affection for his bride, Jesus' call. It comes out of a deep, deep love and affection for us, right? And you see, his love story was demonstrated to everybody at the cross. 
But it didn't end there in John 3.16. Nor did it change during the pandemic. Yet many of us during that time, we stood at home. We talked a little bit more. For those of us that lead churches, we wondered whether we'd have a church when we opened back up. I remember when the pandemic hit and we were in Australia. We just came back from Haiti and we went over to Australia to hear Dudley uh, speak around leadership, which was awesome. And then all this took place and we came back home and here we are and no one's going out, no one's doing anything. And I wondered what's going to happen to the church. I said, Lord, on my knees, we need to get back together. And I felt the Lord tell me why. What? Yeah, he said, why? Why do you want to get back together? And I really had to think about that. Was it because I was insecure that if I wasn't there, things weren't going to continue on, or if the eldership team wasn't connecting with people in a physical sense, it wasn't going to continue on? Yet, we know the Bible says that it's his church. And we're called into that, and he leads it. Jesus Christ is the leader of the church. When the contribution came this morning, Susan spoke about the church. It's the church universal that we get to be a part of together. And each church is a local expression of his love. You see, this message of neighbors and nations was birthed out of a deep love, like I said, for his bride. And it endured enormous pain. It endured enormous pain as Jesus paid the price at his own expense. So in Matthew 22, uh, 36 through 39, if you like to turn there, you can. But Jesus kind of summarizes at this point what he does, the Ten Commandments. And he does this, I believe, in order to unify us as the church around his mandate, right? His mandate of neighbors and nations. So they asked him, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. He said the second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love man. That's what he was saying. Love God and love man. I believe at the time there was many things that were pressing in to the people of Israel at that time. A lot of things, like pandemics. This isn't the first one and it won't be the last one. There's things that will press into you, like your finances, like marriages, like kids going, well, teens. They get teenitis, you know that? From like 13 to 20 and then they come back around. Usually, all, not all teens, but most teens, mine did. They get this teenitis and they do their thing, but they come back around. So God's desire at that time was to reunify his church with his mission and mandate. His mission and his mandate. His mission was to seek that which is lost, right? But his mandate was for us not to save people, but to disciple people, to make disciples of all nations. And I think we run around way too much as a church trying to save people when it's the Holy Spirit that leads people to Jesus Christ. And then they turn their lives over. Have you ever sat down and witnessed to somebody and you're basically pulling them across the line and they come across and they say yes to God for whatever reason and then a week later you can't find them? 
It's our responsibility to make disciples. It's the Lord's responsibility to save people. Amen? So this mission and mandate was, a, was given to his disciples, the churches, to encourage and to unify and to bring the local church and the translocal church across the globe. This is what he was doing at this time. He was bringing nations and neighbors to the forefront once again. He did it in Moses' time. When he parted the Red Sea, he brought millions of people across. He continued in Joshua's time when he crossed the Jordan. Joshua crossed the Jordan. Then came Nehemiah where, where there was a deep love for God's rule and reign that was being reestablished. And each time, it was so the Israelites would know God and make him known to other nations. Phrase sound familiar? Friends, there's many others that I could mention, but I think Pentecost, Pentecost, I believe, speaks the loudest as God gathers neighbors and nations together for a purpose. The purpose was to glorify Jesus. Everyone say Jesus. Yeah, to glorify Jesus. That is to know Jesus and to make him known. In other words, to share the good news with those we know, right? And then those we don't. So in John 17, 17, what Jesus does, he petitions his Father on behalf of all of us by saying, make them holy by the truth. Make them holy by the truth. He says, teach them your word, which is true. Just as you sent me into the world, he writes, I send them into the world, them. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them. So they can be holy by your truth. He goes on to say, I'm praying not that only for these disciples, but also for all who would ever believe. And in me, through their message. In verse 21, he goes on to say, I pray that they will be, that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe. Well, the world will believe that you sent me. There's this deep affection that Jesus has for his church. And there's this commandment that he gives for us to go out to all the nations and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I understand that it's a command. But it has to come out of a deep revelation of God, of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we're just doing a duty. And we forget that. And during the pandemic, we all had a lot of time to think about what was really important or what wasn't important. I remember coming back and all of a sudden we had to get online. All of a sudden I had to be in front and Susan was the videographer. Never trained, but learned in about 30 minutes. And we get online and we start doing this this online streaming thing. And what I realized over a period of time, it didn't matter how large our church was. It didn't matter whether it was 10,000 or 10. Because all they saw was the person who was giving the message, which was myself or another elder, was giving the message, and maybe one of the worship person or maybe a person helping them, just singing and worshiping a few songs. All of a sudden, the playing field was leveled. And the true importance of the church started to rise, which was Jesus Christ. 
All of a sudden, it didn't matter whether we had coffee time or biscuits or cakes or all these wonderful things that we have, which are great. I love them, as you can tell. I love them. But it didn't matter. He leveled the playing field for everybody. And he said, listen, we need to get back to neighbors and nations. We need to think about what we're doing and why we're doing it. And I believe he reminded us during this time. And especially as we lost loved ones. There's over 6 billion people on the planet. And many of them won't be at the dinner table this time. At this Christmas time, you'll be without them. And they went on. They either went on to be with the Lord in His glory, or they went on to somewhere else. Your neighbors and nations will either go to be on with the Lord when their time comes, or they'll go someplace else. So I want to give you a few, three different things to stay passionate for neighbors and nations. Amen? Okay. The first one, and I believe this is so crucially important, is that we need to pray for God's work in our hearts. We need to pray for God's work in our hearts. In other words, we need to ask Jesus to help us see people, the people of the city, regions, and nations, to help us see them the way he sees them. Amen? Friends, we need to ask the Father over this next week, ask the Father to soften your heart about this. Listen, theologically, we understand that we need to reach out to people. But then there's our eyes. There's our smell. There's the senses that we see. And we really wonder whether it's worth us to go across or maybe somebody else will do that. And when you start thinking about that, that's the Holy Spirit telling you you need to do that. Maybe you need to pray. Maybe you need to buy somebody a cup of coffee, a sandwich, whatever it is. Maybe we need to go and talk to our relative that we haven't spoken to for a while because we got saved and then we got self-righteous in our own eyes. Maybe it's our aunt and uncle we haven't visited. Maybe it's a friend at work that irritates you like no tomorrow. Maybe it's him or her that we need to share our faith with because it's about neighbors and nations. There's nothing else. Other than that, he would have saved us and we would have went up to heaven. It would have been done and over with. And I would have been happy for that, let me tell you. And I think you would have too. But he left you and I here on this earth so that we could plow forward. So that we could bring other people to a place where he has brought us with a deep affection for Jesus Christ. And to understand it's a, that it's a privilege to be able to share this message to somebody. It's a privilege to be able to cry with somebody. It's a privilege to be able to rejoice with somebody. So we ask the Father, if you ask the Father just to soften your heart over the next week, to give you compassion so that you don't see the loss with frustration or even anger. I've had people come to me and say, Joe, I don't know why I get angry when I see people in the condition that they're in. And I said, why? He goes, because I don't understand why they're in it. I said, you don't understand the way you were before you got saved? I think it's a matter of time, folks, of of taking that, that board out of our own eye. Instead of looking at somebody else's speck in their eye. Frustration and anger. 
and that, but we see them with love and compassion, the kind of love that Jesus displayed for you and I. I have a saying that it's grace for you and grace for me. And we all want grace for what we do and the mistakes we make. But we need to give grace to others too so that they can mature in the gospel message in the parts that maybe you have matured and I have matured in. And then there's other areas that we need to mature as well. It was very interesting to go out to some of the churches around here and in one of the churches that we went out to, they were doing this work program. And they were teaching people life skills. Yes, about Jesus, but life skills. Work skills, work ethics about just being on time. Being on time. For some folks, they don't have a clock. They don't have a watch. They come whenever they come. And they're good when they get there, but they need to get there. So sometimes just these basic type of skills. But it takes time. It takes time. Things don't happen overnight. I was told one time that some people get planted below the ground, and then they come up, and others get planted right at the soil, right at the topsoil. I was planted behind, down there. It took me a while to come up. People were looking at me thinking, with this face too, right, thinking, what's wrong with this guy? I was passionate for Christ, but I was being sprouted up. God was watering me. People were watering me. They were testing me. They were helping me grow. We need to look at people the way God looks at people. So most of the church today, most of the church today think that, the, that God's mission and commission, and I want you to hear this, is about going to church on Sunday. I've been, I've been told by good men of God that a good Christian is a Christian that goes to church on Sunday, goes to Bible study during the week, and pays their tithes. If you do that, you're a good Christian. And when I came into the kingdom, I was told that. I thought, okay, that's, that's good. And then as I started reading, and they kept saying it, I wanted to vomit. That I'm a good Christian because I come on Sundays? Because I go to the programs that they have? Because I give into the kingdom or to whatever work they're doing? That makes me a good, a good Christian. What makes me a good Christian is submitting myself to the work of Jesus Christ. And if you really look at it, there's nobody that's good anyways. But we try to minimize things and we try to put people in a box so that we can control the situation. And God doesn't want that. God wants us to go out and remember the nations, yes. I'm part of an apostolic prophetic team. That their concentration is the local and the translocal and nations. But also, God's asked me and asked you to think about your neighbors, the people in your local church, the church that he wants to grow. He says, fill my house, right? Well, there's local expressions of his love sitting in here, which is the name of the local church that you go to. He wants that house filled. He wants you to reach your full redemptive potential where you're at. And we're going to do that out of a deep affection and love for Jesus Christ. And when we get that, we'll have a deep affectionate love for his bride. Amen? And this is how we do that. We do that by seeing people like God sees people. He made us in his image and his likeness. Look around. 
image and likeness of God. That's how he wants us to see. Who would want to offend or hurt somebody if we honestly seen them the way God sees them? You wouldn't. But when you look at a person as a human being only, and not as a God, son or daughter of God, or a person that was made in his image and likeness that just doesn't realize it yet, changes the whole thing. The way we interact with people. The way we speak to people. In Matthew 9.36, when Jesus saw the crowd, it says that he had compassion on them because they were confused. They were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So he said to pray. Pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into the field. To pray the work of God. Whatever it is that God has placed in front of you, pray that, that work to the Lord. And ask God, what do I need to do? Oh, geez, Joe, I'm not a leader in the church yet. You're a leader of one and you're leading your family if you're married. But what about your neighbor? Start praying for your neighbor. Pray for the work of God that you're involved. Just don't get involved in something. And I'm not, listen, praying for in the work of God and praying about it is two different things. God's asked us to serve. I don't, need to, I don't need to pray about that. But when I serve, I can't pray to the Lord of the harvest. How, Lord, how? How can I serve today that will exemplify Jesus Christ? Amen? Number two is that we must operate out of a revelation, right, and a relationship. A revelation and a relationship, and this is why. The Lord sees us as a family of friends. As a family of friends and a royal priesthood, a holy nation, but as a family of friends. In Matthew 24, 14, the Bible states this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all, and then the end will come. Neighbors and nations. Friends, this is why it's important that we stay kingdom-focused, even during the time of a pandemic. Now we are come out of that, now what do we do? There's a lot of people right now, and you might be one of the people right now, that are a little concerned and worried about, well, how do I move forward? And, you know, I don't know if I go over so-and-so's house, they're going to receive me, or, or can, I come into, can I bring other people into church? I want to say this to you is that if you pray the work of the Lord in your life and what he's asked you to do, he will give you the courage to say and to do what you need to do. Neighbors and nations. Testimony to all the nations. Remember, it's the person of Jesus Christ that unifies us. It's not our theology. It's a kingdom heart of Christ that bonds us together. I spoke to some people, and they're saying, see, so I'm upset with the church. I said, are you, accept, are you upset with Jesus? I said, no, but I'm upset with the church. Why? Because they didn't treat me right, really. But are you upset with Jesus? See, I come to church for Jesus. I share the gospel for Jesus. I don't share the gospel for gracious living church that we're at. I think we benefit, it, benefit from it because we get to, souls get to come in and start, we can start discipling and start doing other things. But it has to come out of a deep revelation 
of who Jesus Christ is. So that this call doesn't become a duty. And when it becomes a duty, then we're done with the duty, then it's over. But if it becomes a conviction in our heart, and we're saying, God, I need this. God, I need to have your passion. Listen to this verse. John 15, 15. It says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, he says, I call you a friend. For everything that I learned from my father, he says, I've made known to you. So it's exciting really today to be a Christian because you can carry this message everywhere that you go. It's so easy. It took us 22 hours to get here. That's a long time flying, right? I don't know what it would take to walk or get across on a boat. It's an easy trip, honestly, compared to what it would have been at some other time or maybe not even being able to come this far. I believe as Christians, we forget about that bigger picture at times, which includes both neighbors and nations. We need to go to the nations. But how about your neighbors? How about the full redemptive potential in your local church? Let me ask you this question, pastors, and even those of you that attend. If your church was to close down tomorrow, would the city even notice? Or would they even care? I've asked that question. I've wondered why. I know I would. I believe some of the parishioners, hopefully in the church, would. But with those on the fringes of your local church, would they even care? See, at times we focus on things that are around us, and then we miss out on what God wants us to do and, wants to, and the way he wants to use us. He wants us, and hear this, please. He wants us to make disciples of our neighbors and the nations. Let me ask you a question. Who are you mentoring now? Well, I'm not an elder. Who are you mentoring now? Who have you brought into the kingdom recently to hear the kingdom message? And then who are you discipling? Who are you sitting with? Who are you helping to understand the truths that you understand? This is how we grow. If the church did that more than anything else, because Jesus is going to save, let me tell you something, it's a preaching of foolishness that some would get saved. He's going to save. The Holy Spirit's going to convict. The Holy Spirit is over the whole earth right now, and he's convicting everybody, saved and unsaved. And then when they get saved, he points them, then, then, he, then he points them to Jesus Christ, and they get saved. And his water gets poured inside of them. And then we all have that understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. And then there's times, like last night, where the Holy Spirit comes, and he overpowers, and he, and he drenches us with water. And we overflow. So that conviction of the Spirit is all around us. And that's why he, he says that the laborers, they're few. And the harvest is big. Amen? Christ had a passion. A passion for us. John says that no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Who would ever leave a perfect place like that? This is Jesus. He's in a perfect place, and he leaves that place for you and I. That's passion. 
That's passion. Nehemiah did it when, as a cupbearer, he left the king's court to go do God's will. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now with the revelation and the relationship of Christ, Paul was able to make declarations out of conviction. Like Acts 20, 24. Listen to this verse and then apply it to your own life. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. This is true. Paul didn't write this so that we could all be inspired later on. He lived this, and Luke recorded it. Can you say that about yourself? But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it to finish the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. That's got to come out of praying what God's asked us to do to get that inside of our spirit, to get revelation from Christ so that we can actually live this verse out. This is challenging to me. To do whatever it takes, Joe. Whatever you've got to do. Being challenged to go into other regions. Like Indonesia. Being challenged and pulled and stirred at the same time. Am I willing to turn my life over to Christ and finish the assignment that He's placed inside of me? When you do that, it's no longer a duty or a task. It's out of a love relationship that you have for our Savior. That's what gets us to move forward. And that's when humility comes and people begin to get saved. The last one, because I'm almost done here. Well, I am done. We must keep planting seeds so we can stay passionate for what Christ is passionate for. So the first one is that we pray for God's work in our heart. The second one is that we must operate out of revelation and relationship with Christ. And the third one, we must keep planting seed so we can stay passionate for what Christ is passionate for. I don't have time to read all of the eight verses of Isaiah that I was going to read. But in the year that the king died, he saw the Lord seated on the throne. And he realized how righteous that king was and how sinful he was. And this guy was a prophet doing the work of God. But he's seen a revelation. He caught something about the king that he was serving. And when he got that little altar, that little coal on his tongue, immediately he realized how sinful he was. And he just turned his life. He said, Lord, I'm going to do whatever you ask me to do. I'm a man of unclean lips. Flew around, touched him. The Lord's voice, he heard him saying, who shall I send? He said, I'll go for you. Jesus, I don't want to say that because I might go, no. You might go to your neighbor. You might go to the store clerk. Maybe on the soccer field you become more intentional. I think we take passages like this and because of the context that we're in, we forget about, no, this message is for neighbors and nations. Now, I'll end with this. We're not asking for all of you to go plant churches. That was a big scare in the States when Dudley first came over. Me and my wife looked at each other and go, oh, we're temple workers. Because we're, we're he talked about, te we're temple workers. We're going to stay here. He wasn't asking that. What he's asking for us is to understand 
that we, it wasn't just about your neighbors, it was about the nations too. There was a message there for both that we needed to carry. So we're not asking you to do that, but what I believe the Lord is asking all of us here to do is to plant seeds of faith, to plant seeds of hope, to plant seeds of finances, to plant seeds of support, to plant seeds of salvation, and yes, church planting, of course, possible relocation, of course, but that's between you and the Lord and the eldership team that you serve under. Can we stand up for a quick second? My hope is that you've been stirred to the great calling that you have to share Jesus Christ with your neighbors and with your nations. And right now, if that calling has been, as it was said yesterday, muffled, and you've taken back, just a step back a little bit, and you're wondering, how am I going to get moving again? The Lord wants to release you from that right now. He wants to give you a sending spirit. And you may not be able to go, but maybe your heart's ready to go. And maybe you can help in the other areas. And maybe you will work maybe more locally than anywhere else. But it's all needed at the same time. All needed at the same time. So right now, just between you and the Lord for 30 seconds, reconcile where you're at right now in concern with this message about neighbors and nations. Will you do anything that it takes to reach as many people as you can for Jesus Christ? Just take a second and answer that question to yourself. Will you step out of your comfort zone? Father, we thank you, Lord, for every ear that was here today to hear this message, God. Father, I thank you, Lord, Father, that you've stirred me and you've stirred us, Holy Spirit, this morning to understand that this is a big, big task that needs to be done in teams. Father, I pray that each and every person, Father, that you would anoint them, Father, and equip them, God, for every good work of service, Father, that you've called them to, Lord. Father, I pray that they wouldn't distinguish between secular and sacred, God. But, Father, they would operate in their workplace, God, in their home life, God. Father, in the sport fields, the picnics and celebrations they go to, the shindigs that they have. Father, that all of it would bring people, Father, to the cross, God, in the name of Jesus, God. Anoint them, Father, anoint them, anoint them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Don't forget to check out our website or visit City on a Hill International on Instagram or Facebook for our updates, celebration times, or ways you can get involved. We are also streaming our message on Facebook Live, so make sure you join us or share the post. Thanks again for checking out our podcast. We'll see you soon.